Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hello, this is Steve Smith, and I'm a real hooper. What real hoopers do is they lead on and off the court, more importantly, in their community. Got to go to hoopersvote.org, learn how you can make a difference, make a change. Once again, hoopersvote.org. Get out there and vote, make a difference in your community. That's from Steve Smith, a real hooper. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, Ben Taylor. From Thinking Basketball drops in, and we're going to talk about the NBA Finals Game 1, why he prefers to evaluate players using playoff data, and we're going to get into heat culture. How about we can just watch basketball? This is Nerd She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. And welcome to this week's episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Dave DeFore, Seth Partnow, Mo Dakil, both here. But more importantly, our good buddy, Ben Taylor from Thinking Basketball, found time in his very busy schedule to come hang out. Hi, Ben. Hello, everyone. Wow, that was a very like NPR-ish hello. It really is, yeah. That was that was kind of <laughs> Well, it's wow. early in the morning on the West Coast. You have to use your I'm, NPR I'm voice. awake. Just it's the same time for me. It's the same time <laughs> for me, Ben. You have no excuse. Uh, okay, look, look, let's jump right in because I, I feel like this is we're going to go long on this show. Uh, we're recording on Thursday, so between games one and two, we all watched Game One. Um, the Lakers just absolutely destroyed Miami. Certainly there, there are some issues there, but Ben, I'm going to start with you. What, what is like one of your big takeaways from game one? I think the Lakers are pretty good and they're probably going to wrap up this series. Um, that was sarcasm, by the way, this is, we were already gotten off to a great start. (laughs) I mean, big takeaways from game one. I actually, I tweeted this right before the game. I thought it was going to be a polarizing series. And sometimes you get that in sports where you have like a thunder lightning thing, right? Where you have the heat where their stuff is more speed oriented cuts, all the movement. And then the Lakers just have been pounding people with size. Um, I guess to riff off that point, when the Lakers go small, you guys may have talked about this, right? Like when the Lakers go small, they're still bigger than everyone else. Right. And, uh, and I thought that was pretty evident in, they didn't, I don't think they talked about it too much on the broadcast, but they struggled with their starting lineup with Dwight in handling some of those screening actions at the beginning of the game, just took them out and then played AD and LeBron on the back line. And like Bob was their uncle for the rest of the night. Well, Dwight Howard, I mean, it was pretty clear they were going at Dwight early and often and, and Goran Dragic and, and Bam in that pick and roll and even Jimmy and Bam. The, I, I wonder if the the whole thing was, let's get to the free throw line as much as possible early because as soon as AD goes to the five, they knew, hey, they were going to struggle a little bit. I don't think that they expected to struggle as badly as they did, but losing Drogic obviously really hurt. Well, I mean, just injuries got in the way a little bit of what they were trying to do and things like that. But even before then, 
it's everything that you guys said. As soon as they went to 80 at the five, things just opened up and they were able to lock down defensively better and move and kind of move better offense. It was funny. Their offense looked better when LeBron got his first stint on the bench too. Like it felt like it started to flow a little bit easier and it was 80 getting doubled and kicking it out and finding guys and, you know, attacking closeouts and stuff like that. Like it was pretty interesting to watch how it all moved, but ultimately too, them moving AD to the five. I mean, hell, this is something we've been talking about since AD got there, you know, like ultimately at the end of games or close games, AD is going to play the five and they're going to go small. So this isn't like, shocking that they went small and and small in quotes because you know like you guys said it's still big ass lineup afterwards but I think that's the kind of stuff that really opened everything up for the the Lakers it was hey let's see what it looks like with Dwight okay that sucked let's get him out and let's go small and that's and let's see what that looks like and it's like oh okay this looks good I think that's the frustrating thing for me about you know obviously my frustration probably can't compare to Goran's but um you know, we're recording on Thursday and, and with the word is he's a plantar fascia tear and he's going to try to play again. I think we're all sort of assuming that he is done for this series, at least from an effectiveness standpoint, even if he like, you know, gets a shot and goes out there and, and plays. But there was a lot of stuff in the game that felt like Miami could potentially adjust to in, in, in game two and kind of counter it. And now that's maybe almost immaterial if, if Dragage can't play. But the fact that they went so small against uh, the, those 80 at the five lineups, Miami went so small. Yeah. And they did so in lineups that, that, that didn't even get the benefits of being super small. I mean, you had, uh, was it uh, Iguodala and, and Solomon Hill out there. So there's two guys that, you know, AD could just roam off of on defense a little bit. So he was able to dominate at both ends. Uh, and then they're off, as Mo said, their offense started to look better because all they had to do is, you know, throw the ball to AD at the nail or throw the ball to AD in the post or run a pick and roll with AD in the middle. And Miami is is in rotation already, whereas if they had um, – what I was more expecting to see was, was Kelly Olenek as part of the second units. And obviously Kelly Olenek can't, quote, guard Anthony Davis. But it's not like fire – sharks we need help we need you know that 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 it is when it when he gets the ball against solomon hill or andre Vidala. i mean what I th- did you guys in general think of that strategy just to go super small i imagine it was born out of a place of uh, switchability versatility like we're actually potentially losing more against that laker unit with someone like olenic out there defensively but it did seem to jump off the page right away that like okay to use mo uh, to use what seth just said you know we we have a fire in the house all of a sudden yeah i th- and i think that the 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 easy switches they were giving up were you know the, through the competitive portions of the game which probably was to about the mid third quarter um they were just easy switching on like a rondo ad pick and roll and the, why like, are you worried about Rondo coming off a coming off a screen and, and and hurting you? Like, all that does is is mean that that AD gets the ball and now you're in panic and rotation. And so I thought that like going to this like switchy scheme against a team that is built to get and exploit mismatches, um, I I you know I I'll, I'll say I think Bolster is the best coach in the league. I question that decision a little bit. Yeah, and. Ultimately, like just switching overall, and we talked a little bit about this on the ding, Dave, Dave and I and Zach Harper. And, you know, the thing is, like teams are just too easily willing to switch and just put yourself in a disadvantage. Switching is not easy, folks. Like if you're going to do it right, it's hard as hell. And it still puts you in a a, a risky situation. And with this lineup that they had, especially the small lineup. It, it wasn't a good idea in that sense. It was, I honestly think Spolster was just throwing stuff on the wall. Let's see what works and what doesn't. Unfortunately, right. a lot didn't work in the game one. But when you switch, when you switch like this, you're, it's not a switch. That's not a strategy. It's an acquiescence. You have just given up the, the matchup you want defensively. You just said, okay, I, I won't, I won't have this matchup. That's it. There's no fight whatsoever. You're not doing it because guys are setting great screens and you get caught and you have to do it. It's 
I, I don't think that that's a a viable defensive strategy. And it's just not going to work, especially if you don't have the personnel, which Miami doesn't when they're down. And the other we, we agree, though, this is a league-wide issue, right? Yeah. It's a league-wide issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I blame Rajon Rondo, I blame the Warriors, it, to be honest with you. The the no 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 the Rondo lazy switch <laughs> like it's a thing and and clearly like Rondo has perfected it like he's very good at it but th- I think that's where it started and and guys just saw no, it and were like, like hey this is a good but, thing coaches coaches have allowed it to just happen I, I think it's a bad no, thing no you're the, you're right in that Rondo game. doing the lazy switch was his things coaches made it a point to start working on switches when the Warriors found success with it right not not looking at the fact that oh yeah. you're switching from clay thompson to andre iguodala or to draymond green like you're switching to right. oh all four of these dudes could be all defensive players like you know you can notice that they try to fight the switch <laughs> yeah. fight against the switch when it's step in it so it's not like you know but i think coaches just started doing it i mean we saw the the rockets emulated it i mean that's the big thing about this league here's the big secret coaches steal from each other and so they see success and then they start to build on it and, and use it themselves so i think that's kind of where it came from because like when i was in san antonio Switching was like the last, the very last thing we wanted to do. It was one of those things where it's like, damn it, why the hell do we keep switch? Like, what the hell's going on? So, you know, it was, that was the bigger issue. And I think that's kind of what led it to become more league wide. And then coaches just don't understand how well, how hard it is and how to teach it. And also just from a strategic standpoint, like Dave, you talked about it's acquiescing, in some situations, like it's not, you're not acquiescing. You're just, you're indifferent to the matchups a little bit, like against, against the Celtics, right. like you're a little bit indifferent. And if you're the Rockets with, with, you know, a bunch of like-sized similar defenders, you're, you're, you're somewhat indifferent as to matchups. If you're playing against LeBron and AD, like switching from Rondo to Anthony Davis is not the same thing at right. all as switching from Marcus Smart to Jason Tatum. <laughs> Like that's like, that's what, that's the difference we're talking about. And so uh, that's the part that's that, that from a conceptual standpoint, it just doesn't make sense against a team that's so like, you know, one and two player dominant with, with the ball and scoring opportunities as the Lakers are where, where it's like, if you're going to switch against the heat, you can do that because they've got a bunch of like guys who are going to have similarly sized roles in the offense. Yeah. And uh, I think we've killed the switching to the point that we've, we've nailed it all, but I want to go back to one point Seth made earlier. And this was really important too, about the Miami heat when they went to their small ball lineup that we really need to push on is Solomon Hill and Andre Iguodala. Like that's now you're playing three on five on offense. That works. It works against Daniel Tice. It doesn't work against like, like, offensively the heat like we said like just weren't able to create offense with that lineup you know even if you put Olenek in there and you go defensively you know you say okay he might hurt us defensively but he he still might make some shots I will let Solomon Hill bomb from three all that he can make 50 in a row here's shot 51 coming like it's it is what it is you know Iguodala hit four threes in game in game six and you know, but before that, he was like three for a thousand at that point. Like, you know, it's it took two guys. All numbers know. approximate. Yeah, exactly. They're all ex- <laughs> actually all exact. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, but but this is so. This is the problem with, with for Miami when when you lose Goron Ben. You know, they're not putting enough pressure on the rim for their shooters to get space. And, and the Lakers did a a great job. They gave those guys hell all night long. I mean, Duncan Robinson only put up three shots. Well, they, yeah, I mean, they were just jumping out on him and forcing him to be a passer, which I don't know, maybe in the first couple of possessions did yield something for Miami. Robinson made passes that you probably didn't expect him to make, but that seemed to be a concerted effort to prevent him from getting those catches on those kinds of handoffs. He's very crafty at like taking an extra step around the handoffs. And they just said, we're going to jump that with two guys. Um, but going back to this idea of small ball and trade-offs, I talked about this, in the video I did thinking basketball YouTube channel on the Rockets micro ball concept and how with the Rockets, it was kind of surprising because against a lot of teams, they were getting more defensive benefits than offensive benefits. Cause you're, if you just don't have great shooters out there or guys that can 
really exploit you in a in a classical like perimeter or guard way, meaning ball handling, penetration, and better passing, then going to these super small lineups doesn't give you the benefit. And so, I mean, it's, it's just, it's strange to me that we're in the NBA finals and it was, um, that almost felt like we're going to go super small for defensive reasons. But as Mo said, I mean, you're throwing stuff at the wall at that point uh, because they got just completely run over. I mean, the big thing too, the funny thing about the whole thing is the heat outscored the Lakers in the paint by 10, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that was the thing. It was like, you know, and part, obviously it was the ball got into the paint and then they kicked it out and, and found guys, but you know, they, they did a fairly decent job defending the paint a little bit. I mean, the Lakers caught fire and, and so on. And some of that I think is, I don't know how replicable, replicable, repeatable. I don't know how to say words guys. Um, it's early according to Ben. Um, so we're in the same time zone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's early. So it's a replicable uh, time zone. Replicable. There we go. I don't know if they can knock down 39% of their shots, uh, threes in particular, you know, I don't know if that's something that happened. So for the heat trying to just protect the paint might just be the game plan to go forward with it and, and stuff and just hope they can knock down enough shots on their end. Yeah. I think, I think that's a viable game plan to force the Lakers to beat you. I want Seth, I wonder what you think about this. I do get concerned if Dragic isn't healthy and the series kinds of kind of turns into uh, what was it? 80, 89 Pistons Lakers where it just the, the rest is a formality with all the injuries. I do get concerned that game one overstates the game. You know, people are just left with game one in their head. And it's like the Lakers were 13 of 21 20, from yeah. downtown to start the game. 13 yes. of 20, I believe. Yeah. Maybe 13 to 20. It was 13 yeah. to 21 when I pulled it up. Um, and it was just like, come on, that's like what you're plus 15 or plus 18 on shooting luck. They made their first 11 free throws. So we can, we can look at the things in the game as we're doing this morning where they had advantages or their size jumped out or whatever, but the shooting thing is not mm-hmm. necessarily sustainable and exacerbates it. Yeah, no, I think the, the, honestly, the, the, the 20 is the, is the concern there as, as much as anything else. And they were 20, like for the most part, pretty good looks. Um, yeah. And the, so the concerns from a structural kind of like if, if we're going to luck adjust almost standpoint, it's the fact that they had they were in scramble mode anytime AD came near the ball in, in that kind of end of first start of second quarter stuff. And the fact that they just had nothing on offense like that. Those were the the structural things that, yeah, it was it it, it avalanched more quickly than it might have because of, you know, some of the extra shot making. But that was going to be a bad look for Miami, like regardless of uh, unless the Lakers went like, you know, two of 20 from three. Right. Two of a thousand. Yeah. Um, approximately. Yeah. I mean, a- exact number. Yeah. I, I think they doubled too hard. I, I think the doubling really worked against them with AD. And I'm not I don't know how you defend him without doubling him. But the doubling, I mean, he did a really effective job of making the pass out of the double. And I mean, the part of it too was guys. who you're sending the double. You know, at some points you're sending, you know, Duncan Robinson to come double. Okay. Like that's, you might as well send me. I'm available. I can come double. It's the same effect. You know, it's, it's not a a thing like that. And then part of it too is how you come. Are you coming into the position, the situation where he can see it? You know, it's not like they, they were all predictable double teams that were coming. It wasn't like he had to guess where the double team was, you know, this is, old school, but hearing Shaq kind of talk about it sometimes where he would catch it in the post and it would take him a second to recognize, oh, where's the double coming yes, it from? Would. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. That was that was a brilliant drop in there. Um, but, you know, it takes a moment. And for AD, it just kind of kept coming from the same place. It was easy for him to spot it. And when you do that, that's just certain death because then he sees everything and is able to make the right pass off of that. Uh, We'll be back to talk about evaluating players in the playoffs after a word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, Ben, you are well known for preferring playoff games to evaluate players. Can can you just explain your stance here? I mean, we all know 82-game player versus 16-game player, but why do you think the playoffs provides a better atmosphere for player evaluation? Well, I, I think one element of it was just trying to look at how you win championships and the rules are you have to go through these playoff rounds. And I think that started to shift any emphasis on the postseason. Historically, though, there weren't. I, I think what we're seeing right now is larger differences between the playoffs and the regular season. And so that has me thinking of things like you know, take Anthony Davis, who we've just been talking about. If you look at him on a night-to-night basis in the regular season, I think you can make a clear argument that Rudy Gobert has, you know, a bigger a bigger impact from night-to-night throughout the regular season on that end of the court. Then you get into the postseason, and I've been a staunch defender of Gobert not losing too much value there. There's sort of this thing that he loses a lot of value. But I'm thinking of it like, you could flip it the other way with someone like Davis because each playoff series, especially when teams are relatively close, will have this matchup element, the style winning the fight. And what we're seeing is you run into a Houston, you run into um, a Denver, you run in, if some teams got to play the Lakers, the Clippers are a different animal, the Celtics and the Raptors and the heat in the East present all kinds of matchup versatility. And so what does it mean to be able to have a player who, all of a sudden has more value, not just doesn't lose value, but has more value when held up against game plans because either on offense, you know, the thing I talk about, Dave, a lot historically is counters. You know, do you have counters built into your game? Is your offensive game resilient to game planning? But even with now I'm thinking about it with Davis on defense where it's like, okay, in one series, you can run an entirely different scheme because you can put them on the perimeter. In another one, you can rely on his post defense and another run you can rely on his help, you know, coming over and protecting the rim. It's like, if you have a weapon like that, does it become more valuable in the playoffs? And then you start to scramble your brain around like, okay, we've got more regular season data and the sample sizes are really small in the postseason. So how the heck do we evaluate that and bake that in when we judge players? I mean, I, I guess we kind of need to just throw out the regular seasons. Is is what it feels like, right? Like well, there's just no I, I, value to it. I wouldn't go that far, Seth. Probably well, the, the strategies are so incredibly different. I, I wouldn't go that far either. I want to like before we. There's a lot of meat on the bone of that argument, but I was actually I was I was I was talking to a, a scout for a team yesterday, and I kind of brought up this exact point of the greater divergence between. Uh, playoffs and regular season and he made the point to me that the same that he thinks the same things in the playoffs are important in the playoffs that always were it's more that the regular season has has moved to a a more you know a more managed night tonight get through the season thing than like than than making kind of game sort of my the 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 sorts of minor game-to-game adjustments you could you could make during a regular season setting so uh, your your thoughts on that is if, if are the I I still think that the playoffs are are becoming more experimental than they ever have before, but I do think that's a compelling argument that it's really the regular season that has moved left rather than the the playoffs right. moving right. If that makes sense. Well, l- let me give you an example. Uh, when did player hunting, mismatch hunting, begin in terms of? trying to bring someone up for a screen to get a switch on them. When did that really become popular? I'm assuming you know the answer. I I, I, I think I know. Yeah, I've watched a lot of recent playoff games this summer. 
it really wasn't something that I saw happening until the series where it really started to jump out was 2016. Mm-hmm. And especially in the finals, you saw it. LeBron, but, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think there are systemic things that change over time with basketball, even things like uh, dribbling rules, the way they call traveling, how that shifts the, co- and then of course, spacing, the use of the three point line. I think there are a lot of things that led to it. But that was one thing that jumped out to me this summer, going back through old series and old historical film. It's like you didn't have as many kind of mismatch specific wrinkles in a typical series. Whereas now I, I feel like when you get to a series, there's an army of coaches trying to figure out how to exploit your biggest weaknesses every time they're on the court. Well, I mean, I want to, there's a lot I want to touch on because you guys, there was a lot said and I was oddly quiet. Uh, for, for starters, I think part of the thing about the matchup hunting, Ben, is that this goes back to the switching point. Switching has become so much more prevalent that it's like, okay, it makes it possible to match up hunt easier. It makes it something you can do more often. It's also something that I'll push you, I'll push back because it's something that Denver, when it was Chauncey Billups and Carmelo Anthony, were, were running a pick and roll so that they can get the switch and get a small on Melo in the post. And that was what the 2010, the, the 09, 09, 09 run. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, there's, it's, it's always kind of been there, but it's just more obvious now because again, everybody's switching everybody. It's kind of become the new fad, right? It was, you know, it was icing the pick and roll. It was overloading the strong side. You know, it was all those things. One team did it, found success. Everybody jumped to do it. And then it creates other now teams go, okay, how are we going to attack this? So that's kind of where I, why I think it's become more prevalent now, you know, the, the push on the, the regular season in the playoffs and talking about how I think the scouts correct Seth and the, Everybody, a lot of people are kind of looking at the regular season sort of as a formality. Let's just make it through it healthy and things like that. But ultimately, only a few teams can do that because those are the teams that have continuity, know each other, and don't have to build the uh, the the on court chemistry and have that understanding of things. You know, like look, the Lakers are in the playoffs. The Clippers aren't. The Clippers didn't have that on court chemistry. In, in my opinion, they just didn't have the, the, the knowledge of where to go with that. Whereas the Lakers, you know, LeBron bought in. And that was something I said in the beginning of the year. I said, he has to buy in and he has to practice every day and play every game in the sense of this is the rotations we're making. So everybody can be adjusted to the rotations. And once you know your full game plan and your full philosophy, then it's easier to improvise. Then it's easier to call the audible and make that change. When you don't have any sort of foundation, it's all audibles, you know, and guys don't know what to do. I also think having talent allows a lot of leeway, right? Like you can still be really good and play around a bit, right? So like the Lakers this year, they didn't mess around. They experimented, but they didn't mess around. They took it very seriously. I mean, we saw this right out of the gate from them. Defensively, they were, they were just, locked in or whatever term we want to come up with, but they experimented this, this year, I thought. And it was obvious they wanted to get the one seed. They had great chemistry and it helps when you've got LeBron James, but they did play around with, with different lineup combinations. They did play around with different guys doing different jobs and it helped so that when they got to the playoffs, they look at the teams that they've played. You know, I mean, none of these teams have played a similar style. You had Portland, you, you had Houston, and Denver and the Lakers were ready for all of them. And I think that it was because a, they've got the talent. You've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's the most important thing you've got, but B they've got great chemistry and they had great flexibility. I, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on the Lakers. I think you could also make that uh, even though they were less successful at it in, in the regular season, but you want to talk about like malleability and trying stuff with different players. I mean, that's that's the heat to a T in terms of them them having the the kind of being able to shape shift a little bit to to go to any matchup and the fact that they did that all season um you know and and didn't didn't have kind of the 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 super defined this is what we're going to do every night aside from compete really hard and defend really hard and do what we're trying to do on a given night but what they're trying to do on a given night might change a little bit Anthony Davis is a 16 game player 
we we're finding out right now. Okay. And I think that we all probably assumed that this was the case. Yeah. I I think that's actually a key point because you, there's a narrative you can buy into. So I first thought he was a 16 game player in 2018, basically the beginning of the Portland series Mm -hmm. where I just took more notice and I'm like, Oh, look at this dude's skill set. Uh, this is a it's kind of a foundational thing in my work is trying to focus more on the skill set, thinking about strengths and weaknesses and how they apply. And I think, Dave, to your point about talent, there's only so much you can be diverse or, you know, in football, they call it multiple, like a player who's who can be multiple in different settings. And there's only so much you can do that if you don't have a lot of talent. If you're just the little engine that could all the time, you know, you're not going to be able to get into different playoff series and play too many cards. Well, it's Indiana Pacers, right? It's a struggle for them to do what they do. And and to their credit and to Nate McMillan's credit, right? They outperform their talent in the regular season, but a large part of their playoff failure is that lack of talent. They don't have a bunch of 16-game players. So who else, I mean, who else do you feel like is more valuable in the playoffs versus the regular season? I mean, like before we started recording, Seth, you said bam. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to like the, the the fact that the, the thought that Anthony Davis wasn't a 16 game player before <laughs> is the one that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, OK, he was he was he a 16 game player on a team without much talent? Right. Like, no, because that those players who can do that, that there's a, there, there is a ball in hand skill set that you can you can raise your level against anyone else okay uh um that just by virtue of being you know center sized and and if there's one kind of knock on ad it's his his lack of individual shot creation well if you're going to be like the driving force on your team without much talent trying to like giant kill um that's that that is a more relatively important skill set now in in this role where he can be this like massively effective finisher and Swiss army knife defender. Obviously he's a 16 game. So it's not, I don't think it's, it's intrinsic necessarily other than like a few players that you're, you're, you know, you're a top, top playoff performer just on your own intrinsic skills and bam a little bit too. Like if bam was, had had to be the heats like driving offensive force throughout these playoffs, they're not in the finals, but we're talking about Anthony Davis's like malleability on defense, like that. That to some degree, that's that's Bam Adebayo too. Now he's not quite the rim protector AD is, but in terms of like switchability and like you know guarding a guy like straight up in the post, uh, it, it, like yeah, he has he has those things that he, you know all, all that you would want, and the fact that you can deploy him in multiple ways and use him in a switching scheme, use him in a zone scheme, use him in a drop scheme if you need to, use him in a trapping scheme. Um, I think that does the same kind of thing, Swiss Army things that uh, that you get with AD. And I don't think, I don't think also, like, this is Bam's third year, guys. Like, this isn't a, this isn't, whether he's a 16-game player or 82-game player isn't decided in, in this playoff run. You know, it's it's over time, something that you have to prove. You know, you can have a really good series and, you know, be crap the next series for a variety of reasons, match up all that other stuff. But, you know, I think it's one of those things. It's over time. We just know we have the possibility of it in BAM. I think it's too early to declare him a 16 game player. And I, but I'm, I think it's definitely possible in that sense of it's going to take time. We need to see the consistency of it in the playoffs. And uh, the other thing too is, you got to get through the 82 games to become that 162 game player. As a young player, you got to start developing those skills and so on. And to get to that point before we start, you know, it's going to get interesting. We're going to just start labeling everybody. He's a 162 game, 82 game player, 16 game player, the whole thing and all that stuff. And I think we're going to get carried away with all of it too much pretty soon, but it is an important distinction, but it's, it's, I think we need to just slow down and how we kind of decide who's what. We should just we should just label them scalable because that's the term I've been, right. I've been going with and and I think you know I, I get your point Mo but I think conceptually when you look at someone like Bam you you as Seth kind of went through this is a guy with the skills to 
give you the diversity, not, not just from night to night and be diverse. But the other thing is for me, this is where the, the big scalability concept came in years ago is these are skills that are amplified or magnified when you have better talent around you. They don't get worse in that setting. They get better. So, so you need the skill to do it at an elite level. You know, when the big boys are on the court, you have to be able to bring it. But, and this is where I kind of feel for Bam, like AD has LeBron on one side of him and potentially either Dwight or McGee on the other side of him. And last night, one of the other things that really jumped out to me is like, oh, it's just Bam. And, and there's a big enough gap between AD and Bam or AD, LeBron, whoever else they have on the front line and Bam that that was the first game in a long time where I've watched the Heat and I've been like, oh, Bam Adebayo was on the court? Or right. as Jeff Van Gundy likes to call him, <laughs> Bam Adebayo. Well, yeah. you know, and, and also Bam's weaknesses stand out in stark contrast when he's playing against AD. The lack of a jump yeah. shot, right? Like there's just, it's no threat. So him him taking that little free throw line jump shot, that's a win for the defense. Whereas Anthony Davis, that's, that's a zone buster for him. You know, it, it's just, it's, Completely different players, obviously, at this point in their careers. If Bam can develop the jumper, then, you know, obviously that equation changes. We we should also note, given the playoffs and small samples and things like that, I mean, did AD just, because his stroke has just looked more confident and more comfortable in the bubble. Is that legitimate growth from four months of working on that in the offseason? Is it just shooting luck? I mean, to me, these are things that, Dave, back to your point, I like to look at multi-year samples. Right. I, I think we don't know yet, but I mean, given the conversation we're having, if he legitimately starts shooting mid-range jumpers and even, you know, his threes were always in like the low thirties, if he's bumped up three or four more percent and he's just smoking that 15 foot elbow jumper and his little fadeaway jab step that he likes to get into, then that opens up his own scoring even more and he's already a good scorer. I think that we're going to have to look at stuff post bubble. We we aren't quite in the throw it all out because we don't know if it's good data or not, but the shooting in the bubble has been exaggerated enough that I, I think you have to factor it into your game plan at this point. You have to just quit expecting a regression. You know, uh, the guys have been shooting well. like Jay Crowder is not going to shoot 53% or whatever from three next season. I don't expect but if it's a bubble, maybe he does, you know, I mean, is, is Rajon Rondo, Jason Kidd now? Is that, oh, is that happened or is this just a, like, what's going on hey, there? I don't know. Maybe. What about the rookies? And are, are like, how are you looking at the rookies in this? Again, player evaluation is your thing. Are these guys rookies or what? No, uh, I, I was thinking about this last night as I dozed off. It's kind of unfair to the other players who didn't get to make the bubble or the playoffs. Because what to me, what we're looking at is the 2020 season nominally, right? But the guys we're watching are really in the 2021 season in terms of the traditional calendar. So they've had an extra off season. This applies especially to those younger players. And I talked about it last week on my pod with just the heat guys where like hero is clearly not a rookie. Go watch film of hero from January or February and watch him. Now he's physically improved. He's more comfortable. Uh, you know, uh, Duncan Robinson's a little bit older. Duncan Robinson hasn't had as big of a change, but I just think this is something where when you go through the bubble and you look at these guys who are 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, they're in their 2021 season, but we're still talking, we're still comparing them to the you know guys of the world who are the Bradley Beals of the world who are still back in the 2020 season. Right. So this is this is year two for all these guys. But I still think the way that the bubble has has operated and the young players, the way that they've worked. We talked about this before the bubble. I wondered if the AAU atmosphere would increase how comfortable these guys were and, and not to mention just getting all that extra development time that they're getting, like as you just mentioned. And also a high pressure environment. The bubble has been high pressure from the jump. From all for all these guys, there's a chance that we see a development curve for the for the players that were in the bubble, especially the young guys that got to make playoff runs. That is unprecedented. Oh, this is this is something I like. Ben has Ben has been talking about the, this idea of like guys who are 
you know, rookies and a half now. Um, and we, we've, we've talked before about how like aging curves and developments. Okay. It's an aging curve because you've aggregated across the population of players, individual players. It tends to be very discreet in sort of stepwise improvements. And so a guy is going to, on average, a guy is going to improve this much from 20 to 24. Some guys get all of that improvement when they're 20. Some guys get all of it when they're 24. Some guys like step up a little bit each year. My question is, I think that are we going to see guys get an extra step in there, sort of a, 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 a free uh, a free go, if you will, if you're playing like uh, Uno or something, uh, or is that the thing in Uno? Do you get a free turn, um, <laughs> or is it, or is it just that they're seeing like the like as as Ben is putting it, like okay, the off season improvement they would have got this year, they've already got it. They're not getting that again for next year, unless we have another tw- like four month gap or whatever, which we might. Uh, but even then, I don't. I don't know if we're having like the same kind of. Uh, well, the, most guys stuff, haven't. So they, they won't. They won't get to integrate it into a setting. Right. That's the difference, right? I think that's the point you're getting at. Well, the the one thing I find interesting about it is one, we don't even know when next season is going to begin, so they might have a whole, almost another regret uh, uh, progression you know, in terms of or a leap in their development, if it's four months from now or whatnot, and they're able to kind of continue to grow and that stuff. The, let me ask you guys this question. With the bubble being the way it is, how much do we consider people's first year playoff experience the same? Because look, you didn't have to go on the road. You didn't have to play in hostile environments. You know, uh, I would say Luca didn't have to, but the Clippers don't have a home court. Uh, but, you know, Miami haven't getting to, you know, win games that were in technically in Boston that weren't in Boston. Like, you know, what's there's a different element to that. I don't know how much that plays into it, but we always talk about the playoff atmosphere, you know, and that obviously wasn't something that was fully in the bubble. You can have all the virtual fans you want. You know, what's the you know, what, what how are we going to look at these guys, first year players playoff experience this year compared to next year, say hero sucks in the, the playoffs. Well, look, what is, what is, you know, second round, what does Tyler hero do in Milwaukee? Right. That is, that is, you know, I can, I can say from living here and the fact that he, he spurned, you know, the university of Wisconsin that would have turned him into, you know, a, a, a great, Yearly player, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> You've been drawing all kinds of charges. Yeah, I've been drawing all kinds of charges and separated his shoulder three times. And and but but because he spurned the the University of Wisconsin to go to Kentucky, how dare he? He was gonna get booed. Like, and you know, maybe he doesn't care, but like that's a, but, that's certainly a different thing than doing it in like as you say. What is a more uh San, not sanitary. It's not the word. I'm sterile. I'm, I'm not uh, the only one yeah. having problems with words. Mo- no, more, <laughs> more, the, the more sterile environment of of what yeah. are these, these bubble games? Yeah, and, and you know, at the, the, your point too, Seth. That might encourage him to go off. Like, I don't think you you discourage Jamal Murray by booing him. You only you only get him amped up and ready to go. You, we don't know. We just don't know what that would be. And that's something I'm I I've thought about a lot just in terms of these first year guys. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, Ben, as you know, we like to end every week looking ahead. Now, this is kind of weird because by this time next week, the finals could be over. Like we don't know if Goron's going to be healthy. We've got the Bam injury, the Jimmy Butler injury. This this could be a sweep. Uh, but what are you looking to for the next week? What are you looking at? What are you paying attention to? In the finals? In general. In general, me. basketball. I mean, I'm I'm getting ready for my off-season historical greatest peaks series that's that's what's you know when the off season comes i tend to either shift to young players or, or historical stuff and it's going to be I, I was already gearing up for that by about the third quarter last night <laughs> so the goat debate <laughs> basically is what what you're ready for sort of yeah uh, hopefully it's more than that uh-huh i, I somehow feel it'll, it'll uh, <laughs> end up making that more prominent uh, Mo, what about you, man? What, what are we? What are you looking forward to this week? Uh, I'm gonna enjoy the finals, uh, as we said last week. You know, live in the now, right, Seth? I'm going to try That's try to enjoy now. the finals. Oh, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> damn! Positive Seth lasted a whole week. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm gonna enjoy. I'm gonna. I'm I'm kind of excited for game two because again, I don't know if the Lakers can shoot that well, and let's see what happens from there. I don't. You know, I had the Lakers winning it in six. Obviously, I've adjusted, but the element of just watching the the adjustments they'll make in game two. I mean, teams with their back against the wall, and the other team might take their foot off the gas. They could steal one. Let's let's see. So I'm just looking forward to to just the last few days of basketball. Dave, can I tell you what I'm not looking forward to? Oh boy, whatever wow. happens with the Finals MVP and the conversation around that, I'm I'm not looking forward to that. Oh, go listen to Point of Contention. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> As someone who really just doesn't care about awards and and feels like they should be more of a fun thing rather than things that are tied to legacy or how much a guy gets paid. Um, everybody's watching something different when they're watching a basketball game. I'd argue a lot of people aren't even necessarily watching the basketball game when they're watching a basketball game. So like, I just, I I don't, I don't think there's any reason to get into the awards talk, but I'm with you like that whole discourse. I'm going to miss that. Seth, what about you? Um, I mean, shouldn't it just be the playoffs MVP really? Like finals MVP. So, so reductive, like guy, he gets hot for four games. Now, if one wanted to argue that, that uh, Anthony day, like it's going to be a LeBron versus AD thing. If one wanted to argue that AD has been the most valuable Laker over these playoffs, that's an interesting discussion based on the stuff we've talked about. And, and I'm kind of here for that. Um, because there are some interesting points about like how you progress in the playoffs there. Um, as far as what I'm looking forward to, I've got a lot of kind of bigger thinky piece ideas um, that, that that's going on. I'm I'm as we turn our eyes towards the draft, I'm really interested in examining the question of how do we evaluate players' feel for the game, uh, mm-hmm. and how we do that 
can players get better at that if they can how that's sort of a it's it's really sad that turning to that kind of topic after game one of the finals but i think we're all sort of feeling that uh yeah it kind of feels like it's wrapped uh for me i'm actually going to relish the last few bubble games i think the bubble has been some of the best nba presentation that they've ever had i like the extra space around the court the guys clearly like the space around the court. I mean, we we talked about how they're shooting in the corners and the, just the the more freewheeling style of play when you've got all this extra space. I think from a presentation standpoint, it's fantastic for a television audience to actually be able to focus on the game. There's not a lot of stuff happening on the sidelines. You know, nobody spilled a beer on the court in the bubble. Dave, how can they ever go back to the benches where they're all crammed next this is my this is what it i think about no sense. If this is this is uh you guys uh well, it's this money. Is a money issue it's money so, <laughs> they'll so, go back to it quite easily but you know you want to keep getting big contracts fellas y'all squeeze I, in <laughs> i have a plan here and it's just more advertising the euro league does a, a similar presentation style to what the nba is doing right now i think you can do the expanded benches you just have more ad space you find out a way to make this work of course you're going to have courtside seats like that, those are never going away. But what if you can just have them on one side? And what if we can create a little bit more of a barrier between the fans and the players? I mean, let's just think about it from a public health standpoint. I don't want players getting sick because they dove into a crowd, you know, and somebody's sick. I mean, it, these are the sorts of things that I, I think we need to consider. But from a pure basketball fan presentation standpoint, I am going to be relishing these last three, maybe four games that we've got in this environment because uh, this has been my favorite NBA. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks to Ben Taylor for popping in. Everybody go check out the thinking basketball podcast Uh, Buy his book. Thinking basketball. It's on Amazon. I recommendation. Yeah, it's a great book. I actually uh, had two copies because Ben sent me two and I gave one away because, you know, it's one of those kinds of books Uh, for Seth. There you go. For Seth, for Mo, for Ben, uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week, probably to wrap up this long season. Longest season ever. Longest season ever.